0: Welcome to the St. John's Hoxton podcast. We are a local church in East London, here to be a beacon of hope for Hoxton, and our mission is to worship God, make disciples, share Jesus, and transform Hoxton. Good morning, I seem to have been decapitated, but I'm sure the tech team will, uh, will sort that out. Um, <laughs> thank you David for that reading. Um, My name uh, is Andrew, and I'm an ordinand here at St. John's, which means I'm training for the priesthood. Uh, We're continuing uh, our short sermon series um, on all things new, uh, and we're looking at what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And today, we're looking at the subject of money and wealth, living in God's economy. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, I just pray that you would take these words that I've prepared and that, Lord, your spirit would use them to speak to us, that, Lord, your scripture would convict us, that, Lord, your scripture would inspire us, and that, Lord, you would help us to lead lives worthy of you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, what did you think um, first when I uh, said that we were going to be talking about money and wealth? Perhaps you thought, well, <laughs> "I don't have much of that," um, or maybe you thought, "Well, this isn't going to be very relevant to me," uh, or maybe you thought that we shouldn't be talking about money in church uh, because it's not very spiritual, um, or we just don't talk about that sort of thing, do we? It's just, it's just too personal. Or maybe you're thinking, oh no, it's going to be one of those giving sermons. Um, Well, it's not that, I can assure you. What we're talking about and looking at this morning is our attitude to money and possessions and wealth. It's about being good disciples. And that however much or however little we have, we are influenced by money and possessions, perhaps more than we realize. I heard a sermon um, where the preacher said that, that money, pound coins and things, in itself are simply pieces of metal or pieces of paper, or plastic nowadays. And the reason they're of any concern to us is that in our culture we've established these things as an ex- unit of, of exchange. We give a coin, we get some cornflakes back or whatever, they represent value. And that uh, is true. Uh, But I don't think it's the whole story today. I mean, yes, money is coins and and banknotes, but in our Western culture, um, it has the the capacity to shape and and dominate us and and control our lives. In in biblical language, it can become uh, an idol. And today, we live in a a consumer culture. We're dominated by money, by owning things, by the market economy, by credit and by debt. Now, the value of money, the coins in our pocket, if you can remember when we used to use coins rather than contactless, used to be based on the value of the precious metal from which they were made. In this country, we used to have a a coin called a sovereign or a guinea, and that was made from a quarter ounce of gold. It had value because of what it was. And we trusted it. We knew how much gold was worth. And the value of an economy was based on, uh, the value of a currency was based on how much gold the National Bank, the Bank of England, had in its reserves. But but that link was lost uh, in the last century. There was a disconnect. The the value of currency was disconnected from from gold. And and so, what that means is that the value of money doesn't depend on how much gold there is in the Bank of England. depends on the success of the economy. It depends on how well business is doing. And and so, what that means is that it's all a matter of trust. And when that trust disappears, you can end up with a run on the bank, which is what happened, if you remember, in 2008 with the Northern Rock Bank. People were worried, they went to the bank, they wanted to withdraw their deposits, you might remember the queues if you saw them on, on TV. And there wasn't enough money in the bank to pay everyone back. And the bank went bust. Northern Rock met the real world. So money has, has ceased to be simply a means of exchange to express the relative value of, of goods and its services. It's now actually a thing. Money is traded on the foreign exchange and currency markets, and apparently, 90% of the value of money transactions today are on those markets. They don't actually represent, those transactions don't represent the production of anything in the world. They're just gambles or bets on the future value of a currency. and also buying from our modern culture. Credit is pretty much a nowadays, and we think very little about buying something on credit. I want that, that new iPhone now, so I'll get out my credit card. I'll, I'll pay for it later. And by using a credit card or taking out a bank loan, we're putting ourselves in debt, which is fine if you can afford to pay it back. But when you can't, then the cost begins to escalate, as interest is added on the value of the loan you took out, and then interest is added to interest, is added to interest. And often, the interest rates can be very high. Our easy credit culture has, in fact, legitimated, legitimized debt. And as many of us know, debt can end up taking over our lives, consuming us as we try to to pay it off. Now, a generation ago, being in debt was almost a a source of shame. I remember when we moved to the house that uh, became our family home when I was growing up, and my father had to take out a mortgage uh, to, to buy this house, and he was mortified that he had to do that that he had to go into debt, because he'd been taught that you always live within your means, which is a very, very good rule. But that culture seems to have gone today. That's the culture we live in. Now, perhaps I should mention that if you are in debt, um, or you you simply want to get better at managing your finances, here at St John's we run the Christians Against Poverty uh, money course, which is a three-week course, Uh, and a brilliant tool to help you get a handle uh, on your your finances. And uh, I expect a link will go into the chat, um, uh, to to the website, to uh, help you find out more about that if you would, would like to. I really, really recommend it. The point I'm making, you see, is that if it's a question of trust, then where are you going to place your trust? Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And the Bible has a lot to say about our use of wealth and possessions. However much or however little we have. God knows that money, possessions are seductive. They lead us astray. Now, not many of us think of ourselves as as greedy people. We compare ourselves to those who are like us, and we can always think of someone who's doing better than us, who's got more than us, and can think we're okay. It was interesting, um, Tim Keller, the the U.S. pastor and writer who who Graham often references, um, said that some years ago he led a a men's group on on the seven deadly sins. And when he came to the topic of greed, the attendance plummeted. People didn't think it was relevant to them. But money deludes us. You remember in... The Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, Jesus said, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, the movement of your money signifies the movement of your heart. Where your money goes, your heart goes. You show me your bank account, your bank statement, I mean, and I will show you what you love. Money and greed are, in biblical terms, uh, idols or can become idols, um, if we place our trust in them instead of our trust in God. And this was the mistake that the rich fool, uh, in the parable that that David read, um, made. This was his mistake, and I think this is a parable for our times. Jesus told the parable, if you remember, in answer to a question from someone in the crowd who who had a family dispute about an inheritance. And Jesus didn't get drawn into the ins and outs of the rights and wrongs of that dispute. Um, He looked at the man's heart and he questioned why the man was bothered about it. And Jesus said, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Now, the man no doubt saw his share of the inheritance as his way of securing his future. But it was a false hope, which is why Paul in 1 Timothy 6 says to Timothy, to command the rich not to put their hope in wealth, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And As Jesus says at the end of this parable, life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. So, what does life consist of? In the Gospel, Jesus says, is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Life isn't about having things. Life is about knowing God. And so, Jesus tells this parable to illustrate this point. And in the parable, the land of the rich man produced a huge harvest He was a very successful farmer. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I've nowhere to store my crops. And so he said, I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I'll store all my grain. And I'll say to myself, you've got ample supplies. You don't have to worry. You can relax, eat, drink, and be merry, is what he wanted to do. But God said to him, you fool. This night your life is required of you. And the things you've stored up for yourself, whose, then, will they belong to? A person who lays up treasures for himself is not rich towards God, but a fool. Now, of course, it's not a bad thing that the land yielded a huge harvest. That was good. It's not a bad thing if you're in a business and your business prospers. It's not a bad thing if you get a promotion, or you get a pay rise. It's not a bad thing if you've got investments and and the value of those investments goes up. That's not the evil in this parable. The man's not called a fool for being a productive farmer. God knows we need such people. No, he's called a fool because his life was in the hands of God and he would not live to enjoy that wealth. He'd stored up the wealth for himself. To use to be uh, for a life of leisure, to eat, to drink, and be merry. It was for his own selfish pursuits. That was the rich fool's treasure. There's no indication he was storing it up to be rich towards God. So literally, he was a damned fool. And I suppose his attitude makes perfect sense if you think that life that this is all that life is. That there is no God, that there's no resurrection from the dead. I mean, didn't Paul, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 say, if the dead are not raised, let's eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. But there is a God, and there is a resurrection. So the error the man makes is that he fails to use his wealth in a way that shows he treasures God more than earthly riches. Jesus wanted the man to be rich towards God. So what does that mean? I think it's perhaps understood by looking at the opposite. It's the opposite of laying up earthly treasures for yourself. It's it's about realizing that our things and our money have come from God in the first place. They belong to him, not to us. And that's the the topsy-turvy consequence of the gospel. We're simply stewards of the things that God has entrusted us with, however much or however little. And we can be rich towards God when we're faithful in the way that we use them. Now the world tells us that the world is a dangerous place, that the future is unknown, the future is risky. Hold on to your money, the world tells us. Get more of it, put more in your storehouses. You need it, you need to be secure. But being rich towards God is holding your possessions lightly. It's being generous, lending to those who ask of us, giving away our possessions and our money without worrying about the future. And in the passage that follows this parable in Luke, Jesus tells his disciples not to worry about their lives and what they will eat and and what they will wear. Because God the Father knows that we need these things. He says to the disciples that they're to sell their possessions and give to the poor, to provide purses for themselves that will not wear out. Because that is a treasure in heaven that will never fail. where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. The divine economy reminds us that that this is God's world. He has all the resources of heaven and earth at his disposal to meet our daily needs. And as a loving father, he will provide. That's why we pray, give us our daily bread the rich fool, you see, should have responded to his abundant harvest by saying something like this, God, this is all yours. You have made my fields prosper, Show me how to express that it is you who is my treasure and not my riches. I don't need more food or parties. I don't want to enjoy life and indulge myself or my neighbors have need. I want to be generous and open-handed. I want to have parties with the people whom I've blessed by my generosity because it's more blessed to give than to receive. Sadly, he did not say that. Now, as Graham has explained in in previous sermons, we're baptized into a a new life in Christ Jesus. We are new creations in Christ. We're no longer what we once were. We've been adopted in Christ into God's family. We are co-heirs with Christ. And so Paul says in his letter to the Romans, those who are led by the Spirit of God, that's us, are children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship and daughtership. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. We need to expand our imaginations. We need to realize the enormity of what Christ has done for us and what has happened at our baptism. We need to expand our imaginations about the character and the generosity of God. Of God, the Father, revealed by Christ. As we delve into the Scriptures, as we immerse ourselves in the word of God. In the Sermon on the Mount, it tells us not to worry about our life, what we will eat and what we will drink. Because God looks after the animals, he'll look after you. And Jesus taught his disciples to depend on God. He sent them out in pairs. But he told them, take nothing for the journey, except a staff, a pole. Take no bread, no bag, no money. Trust God he was saying, God would provide. You see, we need to change our thinking. We have such small pictures of who God is. And the world is constantly telling us, don't believe it, don't believe it, it's not true. Keep it for yourself. When I was a young lawyer, I emigrated to Hong Kong and had a very good job. A nice flat with a view of Hong Kong harbour. I was a member of the yacht club. Uh, and I had a very comfortable lifestyle. But after a, a few years, I became dissatisfied and uncomfortable. I just couldn't put my finger on what was wrong, because life was good, life was great. But something in me wasn't right. I was unsettled, and I just couldn't work out what needed to change, but I knew something needed to change. And I was praying, and I was asking God, to help me, but God didn't seem to be talking to me. And I got more and more frustrated. And in the end, I was so frustrated, I took the only decision I could do just to make a change. And I went to my boss and I resigned. My boss thought I was having a mental breakdown and (laughs) to be honest, I wasn't too sure myself, Um, but I resigned. And then, having taken that step, a few weeks later, I connected with a woman, a missionary in Hong Kong, called Jackie Pullinger, and I discovered her ministry to heroin addicts and homeless people out there, uh, and her community, uh, her church that she was leading out there. And I discovered a, 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 a way of doing church that I'd never seen before, Uh, and a commitment to the poor that broke my heart. And so I ended up working as a volunteer with Jackie and her ministry. And so as I took that risk, as I stepped out, as I gave up my wealth and my possessions and my status as 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 a lawyer, as an expat, God then followed up and stepped in. And God provided Jackie and her ministry... So I had a roof over my head. I had food on the table. God provided. God calls us to take risks in the kingdom. But our culture daily tells us we don't have enough, that we need to fill our storehouses, our bank accounts, with more and more, that that's the only way we can ensure our security and give meaning to our lives. Shopping malls are the temples of the modern world. But what does that, where does that lead us? I think it leads us to succumb, if we give in to it, to a spirit of poverty, which instills in us a fear of the future and a reluctance to be open-handed and generous with what we have. A reluctance and a fear to take risks for God. Jesus called us, to give to the person who asks from us, not to turn away from the one who wants to borrow from us. Jesus wants us to hold our money and our possessions lightly, to be content with what we have, to be rich in every good deed as we seek to imitate him. And when we depend on God, we're set free to laugh at the vanity of the world, the foolishness, of the world's way of doing things. The world tells us to fear poverty because we will lose the identity that we've created for ourselves with our wealth and our possessions. But the reality is that wealth often hides our poverty. It masks the poverty of our spirit, the poverty of our imaginations, as we fail to embrace and trust the Father whom Jesus reveals to us. The Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy in his first letter, chapter 6. He said, Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it, as the rich fool discovered. But we have food and clothing But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich, Paul says, fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Of course, we use money every day. We have to. It's the way our culture operates. But money, and money in it and of itself is not a bad thing. It's a very clever and helpful invention. But the love of money, greed, and the desire for more is because it is idolatry. It takes us away from trusting God. God loses his preeminence in our lives and we can then wander from the faith. We can be pierced, as Paul says, with many griefs. And so, to conclude, how can we avoid falling into the trap of the rich fool? Let me make three suggestions. First, make your relationship with Jesus your priority. Worship him daily. Read the scriptures Daily. Immerse yourself in who God is, as revealed in the scriptures. Make that your number one priority. Second, tell yourself each day that you are a chosen child of God. You have been adopted into his family. You have no need to fear for the future. And third, trust in God's promises that your needs will be met by God, whom you call Abba, Daddy, and pray that he frees you from any spirit of poverty to make you generous and open-handed and a risk-taker for the sake of the kingdom. So as we seek to focus and reimagine God, let's just conclude with a prayer of King David from 1 Chronicles 29. David prayed this. Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our Father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the St. John's Hoxton podcast. New talks will be uploaded every week from all of our services. And do check out our website, stjohnshoxton.org.uk, for more information.